Welcome back to Historical Context. Today, we are continuing with our Colonization of the Middle Colonies series, but today we're going to kind of shift gears. Last week, we talked about all the problems of Virginia. Now we're switching over today to talk about Maryland, and specifically an issue that we've talked about in previous episodes, and that is Maryland and Kent Island. And that really highlights the complicated relationship between the early Maryland colony and the Virginia colony. We last talked about Maryland four weeks ago and ended at the beginning of 1636. While we don't have any direct quotes for today's episode, there's links in the description to all of the primary sources that I'm looking at for both this week and next week's episode. Today is part one of another two-part episode. Now, when it comes to 1636 in Maryland, the historical record is actually dominated with the events of Virginia and the expulsion of Sir John Harvey. There is nothing else mentioned in the historical record about what happened in Maryland in 1636. Now, that's not to say there aren't any records out there, but what the state of Maryland has actually acquired, the Historical Society, in 1636, all talks about Sir John Harvey and his expulsion. Now, Kent Island, which is the focal point of today's episode, was settled right before the patent of Maryland was passed by King Charles I to the late First Lord Baltimore. Kent Island was actually established to act as a trading post between Virginia and the natives of the northern Chesapeake Bay. We already know from a previous episode that a conflict erupted killing three Virginians in 1635 and that Maryland has claimed that Kent Island is part of their patent. So the Kent Island issue is one part of the two main reasons why Maryland and Virginia don't get along. The other is religion. Virginia is mostly Protestant, while Maryland is Catholic. And those two groups, being asked by the Crown to trade amongst one another, has left some people rather sour. William Claiborne, the man in charge of Kent Island, seems to be the most infuriated with the Maryland situation. Sir John Harvey returns to Jamestown to resume his tenure as governor in January of 1637. He actually arrived, and we talked about this last week, in a military vessel. The mutineers, the men on the Council of Virginia that really led to his ouster, were sent back to England under arrest, and their estates were confiscated. Jerome Hawley was named counselor and treasurer to the colony in an attempt to uh, relieve some of the losses occurring in the tobacco trade. Her, Hawley was a former counselor in Maryland, so he's coming from Maryland to Virginia. Robert Evelyn was named a member of the council and surveyor general, so now Harvey has the opportunity to put his people in that council position, which is like a cabinet, if you will, to the executive. 
The Virginia General Assembly met in February 1637 and ordered a customs office established to maintain a record of the tobacco exports. The tobacco trade was being complicated by poor quality and embezzlement. And the embezzlement was coming because the black market or the market outside of what England controlled was way more lucrative than the English market for tobacco. In an April 1637 letter to Harvey, the king once again brings up the colony's over-reliance on tobacco. It's like a, a broken record. And mentions how other British colonies have successfully diversified into cotton, wools, and other commodities. The king also adds that the colony is unable to sufficiently plant enough corn and grain for itself and even has to rely on natives for these food items. The letter goes on to establish regulations for the Virginia plantations. First is to establish a fixed price and fixed quantity of tobacco to send to London. In terms of fixed price, the king mentions, quote, so that the poorest of plantations may live as well as the richest. Second, trade with the Dutch is strictly forbidden, and this is kind of repetitive to what we heard last week as well. Last, the king called on all planters to disclose their debts to the crown so that they may be addressed. The king adds that these debts are crushing some of the planters. It's kind of interesting because you hear that, you hear that crushing debt, and in our society today we talk about uh, student loan debt. So I guess the, the planter's debts in the Virginia colony was creating much the same challenge as student loan debts are creating in our society today. The king concludes his letter by announcing that tobacco duties would be cut in half. This plan appears to be aimed at putting more wealth into the colony, but the reduction of duties and potentially debt could actually influence the increase of tobacco output. On May 25th, the Privy Council orders the confiscated estates of the mutineers to be returned to them. So it looks like the mutineers, just like Sir John Harvey, might be getting a pass. While the council does not state why, the petition uh, from the mutineers notes that they have served the crown for 20 to 30 years. So these mutineers were apparently people that had been there a while. A letter written in February of 1638 expressed disappointment in Jerome Hawley's uh, abilities as treasurer and insinuated that he was still residing in Maryland while handling the affairs of Virginia. Yet, on March 20th, Hawley writes that the House of Burgesses passed regulations dealing with the tobacco trade, which was something that uh, Harvey followed up with in a letter shortly after. So I think Hawley was sitting in Virginia. In reading the House of Burgesses journal, it appears as if the colony did put quality standards in place for tobacco. They also set a price of 12 pence per pound, which was double the price six years earlier in 1632. The assembly rejected the idea of building tobacco storage for the colony as too burdensome. 
It is clear from the journals that Harvey was not on board with the Burgesses' tobacco proposal. In a response, Harvey accused the Burgesses of, quote, studying to serve your own ends than His Majesty's commands. William Claiborne leaves for England to make his case before the English in regards to Kent Island, and his case would be heard in April of 1638. But it was too late. In December of 1637, an armed expedition of approximately 40 men from Maryland took Kent Island by force. Nothing exists in the primary writings of uh, regarding the actual act, but the mention of it comes from uh, John Latane's 19th century book. There is no word of deaths, but Maryland arrests Thomas Smith and John Butler and take them as prisoners to St. Mary's. Captain Evelyn, who was left in charge while William Claiborne went to England, is named the commander of the island by the Maryland people, signaling that he may have been working as a double agent for the Maryland colony. What further complicates the situation is that it appears Maryland is in violation of an October 8, 1634 order by King Charles to Cecil Calvert asking that he not disrupt the people or trade at Kent Island. But now Maryland controls Kent Island. William Claiborne is in England, so he wasn't even there when it all happened. So what's the fallout going to be? What's going to happen with William Claiborne's appeal? We'll find out next time on Historical Context.